Welcome or welcome back to the Northwood Podcast. This is Tommy, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to take a few moments to listen to this podcast today. Do me a favor, at the end of this podcast, take a moment to subscribe. That way you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. And check out our website, northwoodbaptist.com, and learn about all that's taking place in the life of our church. I hope this message blesses you, and I hope it helps you to connect faith to life. familiar with the Bible, if you're new to the Bible, no worries, James is not too difficult to find. Just go to the end of the Bible, Revelation, and go back a few books and you'll find yourself in James. James chapter 4, 1 through 12 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. So so, so uh, I told you guys a few weeks ago that, that Stacy and I, we put our house on the market because we're moving a little closer to the church where we put a contract on a house in, in Goose Creek over in Crowfield Plantation. And so we're trying to, to get our house sold. It's not sold yet, but if you want to buy a house, it's for sale. So if you want to move, we got one for you. So we're, we're, we're trying to, to get ready to sell our house, all those kinds of things. And so, so in the process of getting our house ready to put on the market, we, we were doing all those things, cleaning it up, you know, uh, removing things from our home that, that needed to go, all those different things. And in the midst of that, our dryer stopped working. And, and I, I don't know how it is in your house, but in my house, I mean, we've got two boys. And so we go through dirty clothes like crazy, right? I mean, they go outside, they get dirty, you come in, you got to wash your clothes. And so... So our dryer stopped working, and so laundry was starting to pile up in, in the laundry room because our dryer wasn't working, right? And, and so we have one of those dryers. We didn't buy it when we bought the house. The couple that lived there before us, they actually left the washer and dryer in the home, and it's one of those expensive dryers. Like, I, I, I wouldn't have bought it myself because it would just cost too much money. It would cost about $800, $900 new. It's one of those Samsung dryers. It's got its own computer, and it's all digital, and, and so it went out, and so I started to call repair to come out and fix my dryer. Well, nobody wanted to come out and fix it because it's a Samsung dryer. And especially, uh, uh, apparently you have to have some special training to know how to fix one of these things. And so I called around, couldn't get anybody to come out and fix my Samsung dryer. And finally, I found uh, a company to come out and look at the dryer. And, and so they came out, looked at the dryer, and, and apparently the heating element in the dryer went bad. And so they had the heating element in the truck ready to repair the dryer. And it was going to cost me to repair my Samsung dryer, $360. Now, 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 here's what I knew. I can go down to Lowe's and buy a new dryer, right, for around 400 bucks, one that doesn't have a computer on it, and one that'll probably last for the next 20 years. But in that moment, there was a laundry piled up in the washroom. You understand? And, and I didn't want to take the time to go down the Lowe's, pick out a dryer, and then wait three or four days for them to deliver it or to find somebody with a truck to go pick it up myself. And so in that moment, right, even though I knew, even though I knew I could go out and buy a new dryer for about the same price, they wanted to charge me to fix my dryer. In that moment, what I wanted more than anything else was to see my clothes clean. And so you know what I did. I paid the money. I gave them the $360, and within 15 minutes, they had my dryer fixed, and now it works, and that's a good thing, right? In that moment, even though I knew the wisest thing to do probably was just to buy a new dryer, there was a sense of urgency. I wanted something done. I wanted to get it done so we could get back to life as normal. Now, in this passage of Scripture we're looking at this morning, what I want you to feel as we study this passage is a sense of urgency. 
We, we've been studying James for a couple of months now, and, and we've titled this series, Growing in the Wisdom of the Word, because we've said now several times that, that if you think about it, James really is the Proverbs of the New Testament. James gives us a lot of practical wisdom as to how to live out our Christian faith. But if we're really honest, and especially as we think about what we've studied thus far in this letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, if we think about it, we could call this series In Your Face, right? Because if, if we're honest, that's what James has been. He's been in our faces, pointing out areas in our lives that need to be brought under submission of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. James has been in our face in an attempt to ultimately get into our hearts so we might be changed by the Spirit of God. And and this passage we're looking at this morning, it's an in-your-face kind of passage. And there's a sense of urgency in this passage because what James is dealing with is something that we all experience on a regular basis, if not a daily basis. He's dealing with the issue of conflict. And you feel conflicted. You've felt conflicted quite a bit because you've seen conflict in your relationships with others. Conflict that has caused all kinds of damage in your relationships. And you've experienced conflict not only with your relationships with others, but you've experienced conflict as well in your relationship with God. And so James, he wants us to to sense this urgency in this passage of Scripture uh, to tell us this morning, man, it's time. It's time right now not to delay, not to take any longer. Right now, today is the day to deal with with conflict in your life. And James is going to show us in this passage how we deal with conflict. And and really, at the end of the day, what James gives us is real simple. And I just want to show you uh, two truths from this passage that I think are going to help us to deal with that conflict. And let me go ahead and give them to you. One is to know the source of your conflict. And two is to embrace the solution for your conflict. That's what James is talking about this morning. Knowing the source of our conflict and, and challenging us to embrace the solution solution for our conflict. So look with me, James chapter 4, verses 1 through 12. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word together. James 4, 1 through 12. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Let's pray together. Father, I know these words that James writes. They're some hard words, but they're words that we need to hear. And there's a challenge in this word for us this morning. 
And Father, I know all across this room, we are all plagued with conflicts. Uh, There are relationships in our lives that have been damaged because of conflict. Father, right now for some of us, there's conflict between you and us. There's sin that we're not willing to deal with that has caused conflict. Our fellowship with you is not what it used to be. And so, Father, I ask this morning that you would help us be sensitive to your spirit and what your spirit is saying to us, and that we would sense the urgency of this passage of Scripture, and we'd want to see you change us by the power of your spirit this morning. And so, Father, we we know right now in these moments that you're speaking to us loud and clear. Help us be a people who now respond to your voice in obedience and surrender and faith. Help us to be a people who desire the change that comes from your spirit this morning. And ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. So, I don't know if you know this or not, but, but James really is, is, is uh, this letter is probably the earliest letter we have in the New Testament. That, that he wrote this letter before Paul wrote his letters, or John wrote his letters, or Peter wrote his letters. That this is the earliest letter that we have in the New Testament. And, and, and so, so when James writes this, right, I mean, the, the church is still brand new. Jesus has resurrected and ascended back to the Father, and, and the church has been born. And so when James writes this letter, it's only been a few decades since Jesus was alive and on the earth. And, 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 and in these, among this group of believers that James writes to, uh, there probably were believers that maybe even saw Jesus and uh, saw his ministry. I mean, it hasn't been that long. But what's interesting to me is that even though it hasn't been that long since Jesus had been on the earth, even though the church was still in a lot of ways in its infancy and, and just starting out, there's already conflict. They already can't get it right, you see? There's already problems. And you've seen it over the course of church history, and we see it still today, that we just can't seem to get over our conflicts. That, that even though we're a people of God who love God and who have been given the gift of the Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ, we still tend to be a people who experience in life a lot of conflict. And, and so the question that James asked at the very beginning of this passage is a very pertinent question. What causes it? What causes these conflicts among you? And, and, and I know if you're like me, you, you would give the same answer. I would give that question. What causes the conflicts among us is somebody else, right? Somebody did something to, to make me mad. Somebody said something that offended me. Somebody treated me poorly. And because of that, I saw the need to fly off the handle. I saw the need, right, to, to, uh, to, to get even. I saw the need to gossip or whatever the case may be. The causes of conflicts in our lives is other people. If other people would leave me alone, everything would be all right, right? I mean, that's kind of the way we think. But that's not what James says. James asks a rhetorical question, what causes conflicts among you? And then he gives the answer. It's you. I mean, look specifically at what he says. You you see in verse 1, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to to take a pen or a pencil or whatever you have and, and circle that word passions, because that's an interesting word. In the Greek language, the word is hedone. That word hedone in the Greek language is where we get our English word hedonism or hedonistic. And you've heard that word before, hedonism, right? 
hedonism is a philosophy of life. And what hedonism says is that you do whatever you've got to do to obtain the pleasures of life that you want to obtain. In other words, hedonism says that the goal of life, the highest aim of life, is to seek pleasure. The highest goal of life is to seek pleasure. No matter the cost, no matter what it takes, you seek the pleasures that your heart is after. And so someone who adopts a hedonistic philosophy of life is always asking this question. What do I have to do so that my life is most enjoyable? What do I have to do to make sure my life is enjoyable, right? That's hedonism. And James says that's our problem. That whether we want to admit it or not, whether we believe it or not, that every single one of us at some point in our lives or another, we have adopted a hedonistic view of life. What do I have to do to enjoy life? Because at the end of the day, that's all I want, right? I want to be happy. I want to have pleasure. I just want a good life. And James says that's the problem. Because reality is, right? You're not always going to enjoy life. It's not always going to work out the way you want it to work out. You're not always going to be happy. And so a, a hedonistic philosophy of life, it is impossible to fulfill or to live that kind of life because life is not always enjoyable. But James says there's a war within you. The reason why you fight, the reason why you experience so many conflicts, because each one of us, we're subscribing to this type of life, right? What do I have to do, no matter the cost, to enjoy life? And what James is saying, listen, if that's the, the view of life that we take, what do I have to do to enjoy life? It's always going to manifest itself in conflict, because you're going to get in arguments, you're going to fight with people who try to oppose your way of life, who try to uh, stand in the way of you getting what you want. You can't hide it. You can't hide hedonistic desires. They're going to come out in the way that you treat other people, right? This last week, um, I went home after a long day of work, and, and Stacy had dinner ready and on the table. It was glorious, right? And so she had, she had baked some fish, and, 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 and there was a bowl of pasta, and there were some vegetables. And, and, and I, the pasta looked a little bit different than the pasta that she normally makes. And so I said, Stacy, what was that dish there? And she said, it's macaroni and cheese. And so macaroni and cheese, obviously, is one of my favorite vegetables. And so I was looking forward to, to eating macaroni and cheese. And so we sat down and had the fish on my plate and some vegetables that I wasn't going to touch, and then the macaroni and cheese, right? And so, so I, I began to, to eat the macaroni and cheese, and we began to eat the macaroni and cheese. It didn't taste the same as normal macaroni and cheese, right? I mean, it had a little bit different taste. It had a little crunch to it, and macaroni and cheese isn't crunchy. And I'm like, what is this? What my wife had done is that she had shredded up squash. And I know, it's terrible. <laughs> She had shredded up squash and put it in the macaroni and cheese. My wife was trying to poison me. You see what I'm saying? I mean, it was awful, right? But, but all that to say, she was trying to hide it. She was trying to get her boys, her husband, to eat some vegetables. And so she, she hid that macaroni, she hid in that macaroni and cheese that, that, that squash, right? But you can't hide it. It's going to come out. I mean, I'm smart enough to figure out this ain't macaroni and cheese. And I think what James is saying here, listen, you're not going to hide it. If you live your life in such a way where you're always asking the question, 
What do I have to do to enjoy life, to have a good life, to have a happy life? It's going to come out. It's going to come out, right, in the way that you treat other people. Look at what he says. You, you see, for example, this, this gets really interesting. You, you see, for example, verse 2. You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask, you do not receive, because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. Now look at what James says, right? On the one hand, if, if the predominant question of your life is, is what is it going to take for me to have an enjoyable life? If that's the dominant question, you're going to be guilty, now watch this, of murder, now, we don't know exactly what's going on in, in this group of believers that James writes to. Maybe there was a literal murder that took place in the life of this congregation because someone didn't get their way. Someone stood in the way of their enjoyment and they physically murdered someone. Or maybe, and maybe more likely, when, when James writes this, he's thinking back to what his brother said in the Sermon on the Mount. That when you harbor anger in your heart, and you don't deal with that anger... You're guilty of murder. Because let's just be honest. We have broken some relationships. There have been some conflicts in our lives that have been so bad that it ended our relationship, right? And, 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 and we treat that person who we ended that relationship with, we treat them as if they are dead. We don't talk to them anymore. We don't even acknowledge their existence anymore. And, and that conflict happened because they stood in your way. You were trying to get what you wanted out of life. You were trying to have an enjoyable, peaceful life. But they stood in your way and, and, and conflict ensued. And the next thing you knew, that relationship was over. You see, James says, right, you, you do not have. So you murder, you, you covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and quarrel. You see what James is saying is that there is a war going on within you. The source of your conflict. Conflict is not outside of you, it's inside of you. You want that hedonistic life that says, I've got to have an enjoyable life and I'll stop at nothing to get it, even if that means I have to fight other people to get what I want out of life. But it not only affects our relationship with other people, when our, our desires are set on doing whatever I need to do to enjoy life, it also affects our relationship with God. Look again what he says, right? You ask, you don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You, verse, uh, end of verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. Now think about it. James has already said in, in chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift comes from where? Above. That God is the giver of good and perfect gifts. That, that ultimately, the pleasures that we want, the enjoyment that we want, the satisfaction that we want, is found in whom? God. Not the things of this world, not in money, not in power, not in sex, but in the things of God. Right? And in Psalm 37.4, the psalmist says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. But the problem is we don't believe that. We don't believe that ultimate satisfaction is in God. We don't believe uh, that, that ultimate joy and, 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 and hope is in God. We don't believe those things. And so since we don't believe that, we don't ask Him for it. We don't ask God to give us the desires of His heart. Because we don't believe that He is the true giver of pleasure. So, 
we don't ask. Or, or on the flip side, we treat God as if he is some type of celestial Santa Claus, that he exists for our pleasure, right? You see what James says. Or you ask for the wrong, with the wrong motives, to spin it on your passions. All James is saying here, he's saying, know the source of your conflict, that in this room this morning, you are in conflict with others, and you are in conflict with God, because you are trying to live a life that says, I just want what I want, no matter the cost, and I'm going to do what I have to do to get it, no matter who's in my way, whether that's people or whether that's God, right? Look at what else he says. We've got to keep moving. He says, listen, verse four, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That's a strong language, is it not? James is saying, listen, you've chosen your path. The God of all creation who loves you and gave us some for you has offered you a better way of life. He has said, come, find joy, find pleasure, find satisfaction in me. But you've chosen a different path. You are an adulterous people because you've chosen friendship with the world and what the world values and what the world says is pleasure. You've chosen that instead of friendship with God. And he goes on to say, don't you know that God is jealous over you? He's done everything necessary to open your eyes so that you can see that real joy and real satisfaction and real pleasure in life is found in a relationship with Him. He went so far as to sacrifice His Son on a cross who died in your place and rose again so that you can know the love of God and so you can know that joy and peace and satisfaction comes in a relationship with Him. He's done everything possible to protect you from the influences of this world that say live for the world. He's done it all, yet you've chosen the world over God. You're adulterous. In our backyard right now, there is um, there's a bird nest. Some birds have taken up residence in our uh, backyard, and, and I, I don't know if the eggs have hatched or not, but the birds that have made the nest are, are mockingbirds, right? You, you know mockingbirds, they, they mock you, and they're mocking us something terrible right now because every time we go outside, they dive bomb us. Like we're walking around outside and just all of a sudden they're coming down. Their beaks are real long. They're trying to peck us in the head. I mean, it's terrible. So we can't even go into our backyard. Hey, you want to buy our house, right? So we can't even go into our backyard because these birds are trying to, to, to kill us because they're trying to protect their baby birds, right? In fact, I've got a picture I want to show you. This was me yesterday before the storm. I was grilling a nice meal for our family and, and trying to protect myself from the dive bombing birds. And so I had this big umbrella just kind of, you know, doing this thing with the umbrella to keep the birds away. And my wife, while I'm trying to cook a meal for my family because I love them and I want to be a good provider for my family, while I'm trying to grill out a nice meal for my family, my wife, instead of coming outside and holding the umbrella for me, right, and helping me to cook the meal, protecting me from the birds that want to kill me, instead of doing that, she thought it was much wiser to take pictures of me holding an umbrella while I was cooking dinner, right? I have a wonderful wife, don't I? So it's been all that to say, man, we, we are trying to survive right now, this, this, these vicious attacks from these birds outside. So, so we're bigger than the birds, right? I mean, I'm a lot bigger than a bird, but even though I'm bigger than the bird, even though that I could remove the bird from the property if I wanted to, right, take the nest and move it somewhere else, even though I, I'm more powerful than the bird, that bird, those birds are fiercely loyal. They are jealous over their babies, and they're doing everything they can to protect their, their eggs, right? 
in the same way, understand that your God is fiercely loyal. He loves you. He is jealous over you. And he's provided every means possible to protect you from this world, to protect you from a life that says life is all about me and my desires. He's given his son Jesus for you to prove to you that real pleasure is in a relationship with him. God is jealous over you. He has moved to heaven and earth to have a relationship with you. And so, so again, this is real simple. Know the source of your conflict. The reason why you fight, the reason why I fight is because there's something inside of me that says I I've got to do whatever it takes to be friends with the world. I've got to do whatever it takes to enjoy my life. And so I'm always asking the question, right? What is going to make my life most enjoyable? And if that's the dominant question of my life, come in close now. If that's the dominant question of my life, if the dominant question is what is going to make my life most enjoyable, I'm going to always find myself in conflict with others and with God. On the flip side... If the dominant question of my life is what is going to make my life most purposeful for the kingdom, I'm going to find myself in peace. Because when I'm asking that question of my life, what's going to happen? I'm going to see others as God sees them. I must serve instead of desiring to be served, you see? And so the question for you this morning is what is the question that you are asking? What is the dominant question that pervades your life? What is going to make my life most enjoyable? Or what is going to make my life most purposeful for the kingdom? And if you're honest with me, and if I'm honest with you, this is the question that wins out. I'm constantly asking what is going to make my life most enjoyable? And so the question is how do I stop? How do I stop asking that question? How do I center my life around this question? What is going to make my life most purposeful for the kingdom? What is going to change the question that I'm asking? Are you following me? Everybody with me, right? James gives us a little solution. Let me show you what he says. You come down in James chapter 4 and you look at what he says in verse 6. This is so good. You might want to underline this phrase because this is the most, one of the most comforting verses in the New Testament. Look at what he says. Chapter 4, verse 6. But he gives more grace. Amen. He gives more grace. You know what grace is. Grace is God giving you what you do not deserve. Every one of us, because of our selfishness and rebellion, because of our sin, what we deserve is an eternity apart from God. But in God's grace, God saved us. He gave his son Jesus for us, who died and rose again, so we can have a relationship with the God of all creation, so we can be given the gift of, of new life, abundant and eternal. That was the gift of grace that God gave us us at the moment of our salvation. But when you became a Christian, God didn't stop showing you grace, did he? Even here this morning, if you've been a believer for a year, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 45 years, whatever your story is, no matter how long you've been a follower of Jesus, your testimony is a testimony of grace because every single day of your life, God gives you more grace. You know why he gives you more grace? Because even as a follower of Jesus, you mess it up. 
Amen? I mean, even as a follower of Jesus, you revert back to old ways. Even as a follower of Jesus, you revert back to an attitude that says, what do I have to do to get the most out of my life for me, to get enjoyment and pleasure? Even as a follower of Jesus, you revert back to that. But God gives more grace. Daily, he's giving reminders that there's something better. There's a better way for you to experience. And so, so listen, what James says is that this grace, it is for you. The question is, will you humble yourself to receive that grace? Look at what it says again. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Grace is for us who know that we've made a mess out of our lives. Grace is for us who know that we've lived our lives inconsistently. That we've lived our lives saying what's in it for me rather than what's in it for the kingdom. Grace is for us who are humble enough to admit it. And so then the question becomes, and what I want to talk about for the next few moments, is how do we daily walk in this grace? How do we walk in the grace that is able to change us? How do we walk in the grace that is able to change our hearts in such a way that we begin asking a different question in life? That we begin asking the question, what must I do to make my life most purposeful for the kingdom of God? How do we walk in that kind of grace that changes us? James tells us, submit. Right? Look at what it says again in the passage. He, he says there in, in the very next verse, does he not? Submit yourselves therefore to God. Isn't that interesting? Because that's not what the world tells us. The world opposes submission. The world says what? Promote yourself. Let everybody know who you are and what you want out of life. The world says push yourself, right? Do whatever it takes. Work that long hours. Step on whoever you have to step on to get what you want. The world says assert yourself, right? The world doesn't say submit yourself. But God says submit. Because he's a good God who loves you. He holds everything in his hands and he knows what's best for you. God says Submit. Submit yourself to me. Then you will find what your heart longs for. Submit. Draw near, right? Notice what he says in the passage. This is it's so interesting. On the one hand, he says in verse 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. That understanding that that war inside of us that's going on, that war that says, I want what I want, man, you're playing right into the hands of the enemy. When you live in such a way that you're allowing that war to take precedence in your heart, right? And, and so, so James says, resist the devil because the spirit of God lives in you. If you resist, he will flee. And on the flip side, draw near to God. If you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Now understand again, James is writing to believers, Believers who are struggling in their faith. Believers who, who are, are drifting in their walk with the Lord. And James says, draw near. It's almost as if he's, he's thinking about the story of the prodigal son in a sense. Come on back. And as you come back to God, he's going to draw near to you. Look at what he says, though. And, I, and, and here I want you to hear these verses. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Let me read them again. Cleanse your hearts, your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Those verses, 
None of us want to hear that. James is saying, listen, if you want to experience this grace of God, the power to change you on a daily basis, if you, if you want to begin to ask the right question of life instead of the wrong question that you've been asking, cleanse your hands. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Mourn. Let your laughter turn to mourning. And here again we have it in the New Testament. Just as we have throughout all of the pages of Scripture. A challenge. To turn. And here we have it again in Scripture. This reminder that what you don't take so seriously in your life, God takes very seriously. And what you and I don't take so seriously in our lives is our own sin. We don't take our selfishness very seriously because it's just what we are. We don't take our rebellion against God very seriously because it's just what we do. And so for many of us in this room this morning, mourning our sin Mourning the fact that we are the problem. Mourning the fact that, that those conflicts in our lives, that we were the ones that probably caused them. We just don't do that. But James is saying, you want to experience grace? Humble yourself before God and realize that you're the problem and you have a problem. But there's grace for you. Grace for forgiveness. Grace to see life from a different perspective. Grace for a change. Mourn over your sin. And let's just be honest, we mourn over a lot of things that don't matter. We mourn when our favorite college football team doesn't win the big game that week. We mourn when we don't get the promotion at work. We mourn when our kids don't get into the college they want to get into. We mourn over all kinds of things that do not eternally matter. But we don't mourn over what we've done in our relationship with God. We don't mourn the fact that we've drifted away from Him. We don't mourn the fact that some of the decisions that we've made have caused great harm to other people. We don't mourn our sin. And I just wonder, what might God do in our church? What might God do in our lives? What might you experience in your walk with the Lord if you cleaned your hands? If you purified your heart? If you got honest with yourself and honest before God and said, okay, God, I get it. I'm the problem. I'm living a life constantly that says all I want out of life is my own enjoyment instead of living a life that constantly says all I want is to live for your enjoyment and your glory and your passions and your kingdom. I mean, what would happen in your life if you were honest before God this morning, if you felt the urgency of this passage, you began to turn, you began to confess, you began to humble yourself before God. What would happen this morning in your life? What would happen in our church if we submitted? If we drew near to God by finally coming clean? What would happen if we stopped the war? I mean, look again at what the passage says. You, you come down to verse 11 and 12, and James says this, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And so it's almost as if James goes back to the idea that he started in chapter 3, when he talked about taming our tongues, right? Don't speak evil. Don't judge. There's only one judge and one lawgiver. And if you go back to James chapter 2, he talked about the royal law of love. And now James is challenging us here at the end of this passage to live out that royal law of love, right? Don't speak 
evil. Don't judge. Stop the wars. And you're going to stop the war when you become honest with yourself and realize that the problem is within you. And today is the day that you can turn from that problem and know that there is more grace for you as you come clean and you confess and you begin to put back together your relationship with the Lord and you begin to put back together your relationship with other people whom you've hurt because of the conflict that is within you. It's time to come clean. It's time to stop the war. It's time to submit. And here's why I know. You can. Because Jesus Christ, the power of the Spirit of God, dwells in you so you can see lasting change in your life. You ready? You ready to stop the war? Are you ready to come clean? Are you ready to finally submit to the one in whom there is real pleasure? You see, Jesus Christ did not die on a cross to create conflict for us. Jesus died, Christ died on a cross to bring us peace. And in a relationship with Jesus, there is peace. Peace with the God of all creation. Jesus went to war with sin itself and took the punishment that we deserve and rose again so that we could have peace. And this morning, I wonder, for some of you, have you ever experienced that peace? That peace that comes in knowing Christ as Lord. This morning, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you've never experienced the peace of Jesus, come by turning from your sins and giving your life to Jesus for the very first time in faith. If you believe that he died for you and rose again, if you turn from your sins and give your life to him, he will save you and you'll experience peace with God. Jesus Christ died and rose again so we could have peace with God and peace with each other. Follower of Jesus, you're here this morning, but you know it. What James says here in chapter 4, it resonates with you. Because you know that there's a war going on. You've been living a conflicted life. You've been trying to get what you want out of life. And all it's done is it's caused you misery and conflict with other people and conflict with God. Today, stop, submit, come clean, draw near, and stop the war. And so maybe for us this morning as a faith family, what God wants from us is for all of us to simply come clean. And maybe for us, what this morning needs to be is a time of turning, confession, repentance, confessing to God, but also confessing to others and doing what we have to do to forgive and move on. I don't know how God is speaking to you this morning, but I want you to sense some urgency. Your relationships are suffering. Your relationship with God is not where it needs to be. But all that can begin to change today. So what will you do? How will you respond? Father, thank you for this morning and for time together.